If you look at Jude chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 1 through and look at verse 1 through 4 tonight. Uh, Jude is a is a very sort of mysterious book. That's the way I kind of describe it. Uh, there's a lot of questions about it we just don't know. We see Jude quote scripture. I mean, sorry, not scripture. We see Jude quote text that is not scripture. Uh, Referring to Enoch there. Some Enoch's writings that are not biblical writings, just writings that someone done. And you don't see it too often in the Bible. But the book of Jude is, is a very short book. It's only in one chapter. And it's got a very big... Uh, purpose for it, especially I believe for the modern church today, as it looks at teachings and different things going on um, in the church world. And we look at Jude 1, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should be earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at the the last of the message tonight, there's three things. And what we're probably looking at is the reason Jude wrote the letter. Uh, not just his salutation, but his purpose in writing this letter. Because you'll notice there, Jude had another plan going in. He was going to write about something about a common salvation. But the Lord stopped him in his tracks and changed his path and led him to write about something else. So we're going to look at really his intention of writing tonight. Um, and as we look at this, I hope it will open your eyes to some of the truths of the word that we miss sometimes. The first thing we're going to look at is in verse 1 and 2 there. And the point we want to look at this is Christians must be sanctified, preserved, and called. Christians must be sanctified, preserved, and called. Now, you can't have a Christian without all three of those. You can't have just one of them. You can say, well, you know, I was called, but I wasn't sanctified or preserved. Or I was sanctified, but I wasn't preserved or called. Or I, or I was never preserved. The Bible bears that all three of those things in verse 1 has to take place for you to be a part of God's church. Not just the local church, but God's church. Now, the purpose in him writing this is this has, was written to the universal church. Look at the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, the book of, of whatever. Paul had certain areas he was writing to. Jude isn't doing that. When Jude writes, he's writing to the church, the universal church, the Mountain Mission Baptist Church, McConnell Church, Strikers, all the churches this letter was intended for. So this letter is written to you and I personally. And there's something in there for all of us. Now the first thing he talks about, and the first thing we have to be to be part of the church is we've got to be called. And if we flip over to the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, Romans 8 and 30, it tells us there, Romans 8 30, it says, Paul says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. And you have this, basically the steps of salvation there. For a man to be saved, the Lord must call him. The Spirit must draw him. We walk sometimes in dangerous grounds here when we try to bully people to salvation, drag people to salvation, beat people to salvation, uh, bargain people into salvation. It doesn't work that way. Wish it did because it would be a lot easier sometimes. But the Lord 
calls people to salvation through the, the preaching of the Word. The Spirit goes out and that Spirit draws you to Jesus Christ. It shows you the condition you are in. You see, if you flip over one more page there in Romans 9, it shows us there that if we are going to be adopted into a family, you don't get adopted just because you choose to. You see, the family has to start the adoption process. If I want to adopt a child, I can't go out on the street and grab one and say, you will be my child, and they're all of a sudden they're mine. In the same way, that child can't show up in my house and say, you know what, Daddy, I'm, you're now my father. It doesn't work that way. There's a process that takes place. And the Lord is the same way. We are described as being adopted. Romans 9.22 says, What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had afore prepared unto glory? Even us whom He hath called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. As he has said also in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall be called the children of the living God. It's talking about us, the Gentiles. The, uh, we are told there through Scripture that to be adopted, the Lord would call us into adoption. And once we are called into adoption and we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we, we, we commit our life to Him, He adopts us into His family. We become children of God, co-heirs with Christ. We are grafted in with the Jews. We become one, the Jew and the Gentile. There is no difference in the sight of God. We are all the church of God. But the Lord starts the process by calling us. You see, those called to salvation is also called to serve. Once you're called and the Lord saves you, you, you make the decision to accept Christ as your Savior and you are saved, then you are called into service. There has never been anyone saved that is not called into service. It doesn't exist. It's what we sing the song with our kids about uh, in the Lord's army. There is not a soldier in the army that doesn't have a purpose, a job, a calling. Something that they do. And every single job in an army is important. I don't care what it is you're doing. Every single job is critical. The Lord's army is no different. Once you're called, once you're saved, He calls you to serve in some way, whatever that way may be. And once you are serving God, you are fulfilling your purpose, God's given purpose for you and for I. You see, God doesn't just call you because He can't live without you. It's simply not the way it works. God calls us, we have a relationship with Him, and then we serve, we work, we strive. I think I think of your own kids. I guarantee when you were raising kids in your home, you gave them jobs to do. They're going to live in your home, you were going to feed them, I bet you found something for them to do along the way. And, and I don't care, once you get to a certain age, you should have a job, you should have things you can do. But God's no different in the church. In the church world, God has things that every single person can do, regardless of your age or ability. So you have to ask yourself, what is your, what the Bible describes, holy calling? Once you've been called to salvation, once you've been saved, what is God calling you to do? What is He calling you to do as an act of service? And it doesn't have to take place in these four walls. That's, I guess, the, the biggest grave secret that we don't tell people. That calling can take place anywhere in the world. It's what God is calling you to do.
To know are we called to salvation, are we called to serve, we are called out of the world. Which means we may live in this world, but we are not to live, not to look like the world. The church is supposed to be a lighthouse upon a hill, showing the rest of the world the need for Jesus Christ. And that we're only as good as our weakest member is when it comes to that. Because the whole world looks at our behavior, our actions, how we handle ourselves. Do we operate in love? Because it's not about legalism. It's not just about keeping the law. Do we operate in love with people? Are we kind with people? Even when we're having to be disciplined to people, are we doing it out of love and out of kindness? Because there is a difference. It's the same thing with a child. When you discipline a child, you discipline them out of love. You sit them down, you talk to them, you explain why what they're doing is wrong, and you correct them. It's the same thing when we do it as a church. When we are telling someone that we don't agree with them, or we're doing this, it always has to be presented in a loving, godly way. Again, we can't resemble the world. Second thing, not only is the church called, the church is sanctified. It's set apart. It's made holy. As this doesn't mean, don't let the word holiness scare you. Holiness does not mean to be perfect. It means to be set apart, to set aside. Spiritually, you are set aside the moment you are saved. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, we cannot see God. In other words, God must take us and set us aside once He has saved us. Now, this ain't done by you. This ain't done by your good behavior, your, your good looks, your good actions. This is done by the Spirit. The Spirit is of the Father and the Son. So we see all parts of the Trinity working in this, that once you are saved, that Spirit sets you aside as a child of God. You are branded, you are labeled, you are different than the rest of the world. Doesn't mean you're better. Just means you're separated. I think about the Bible describes, uh, talks about goats and sheep. I guarantee if you had goats and sheep in a pen together, you'd probably have them separated out. And you would, by looking at them, if you knew anything, knew which was a goat, which was a sheep. It's the same way in the world. God knows who His children are. Now, we may all look alike, and sadly, sometimes we all act alike, whether we're saved or not. But the reality is God knows His children. He knows our cries, and we know His voice. And we listen, the Bible says. You see, our corruption is of us, but our sanctification, our setting aside, comes from God. Every bad action, ugly thought you do comes from you, your flesh. But that inner working, that cleaning, that changing, that molding comes from God. Now because of our sanctification, when we appear in front of God, it's as if we never sin. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Bible tells us, if I can get through it here. Sometimes your little finger tabs don't help you as much as you wish they did. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we preserved? Why are we Different? Why are we labeled? Because God has taken us and set us apart to be His, to be collected. Hebrews 10.14 says we are perfected, made perfect, because we are 
sanctified. doesn't mean we're perfect in the flesh. It means we're perfect in the spirit. We appear to God perfect, but our actions sometimes are still ugly. Third thing, are we are called, we are sanctified, and we are preserved. The psalmist says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. I can't preserve you. Your name on that church membership book back there in that vault ain't going to preserve you. Your good actions aren't going to preserve you. Being nice, kind, loving, or being involved in church will not preserve you. Our trust to be preserved unto the end has to come from God. He's the only one able to do it. See, salvation is not a decision. Salvation is a condition. We often say you need to make a decision for Christ, and it does start there. But once we have this chose Christ... We are in Christ. It's the way we will stay. You can't decide for Jesus and undecide for Jesus. It don't work that way. Once we decide, we are in Jesus. Psalm 138 says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Listen, when you get saved, it's God's work, God's hands that is molding you and changing you. And it is fully through God which is preserved in us. Now, that is what makes up the church. If you don't have all that, you aren't part of the church. And if you are the church, praise God, you have all of that. You've been called, set apart, and preserved. Now, here's what we see over in verse 3. In verse 3, as Jude continues writing, he shows us that the Christian faith is unchanging. And we should be happy about that. You see, when something we, we as humans don't like change. It just, it's nature. None of us likes change. I have a certain habit that I do when I get up, and I've done it for years, and I'll probably do it as long as I can because it's my habit. I have the same habit when I come in those church doors. I park in the same place out back, and I think that's why Baptists sit in the same pews every single week because we hate change. Well, praise God, in Jude 1.3, we see that the Christian faith doesn't ever change. Jesus is described in the Bible as the chief cornerstone of the church, which means he is a solid foundation. He is that solid rock that our faith is built upon. And a foundation that is solid does not change. If our foundation of this church began to move, we'd have some serious issues, serious structural problems. We'd probably just about have to tear down and rebuild once the foundation started moving. Well, the foundation for the church of Jesus Christ never changes altered or is moved because it's based upon the writings of this book and based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. It means back when, when the book of Acts was taking place, not written, but actually happening, it, God was the same then that he is now in 2019, Hearts, West Virginia. God's never altered. His ways never change. He is the same forever. See, Jude is saying he has to write this as a warning because people are going out and changing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are changing the faith, changing what God has written in his words. You see, we should be willing to stand up for the truth of God's word. Not just on, you know, Jesus was good. A lot of people, as far as they can get, Jesus is good. Uh, He loves people. We love him. And I'm, we're happy with that. And that's not, that's just a small portion of the Bible. But some people, that's as deep as they get. You see, we need to know the truth, the depth of God's Word. 
We should be willing to stand for what Christ stood for, that Jesus Christ is the only saving faith. Faith in Buddha is worthless. Faith in Muhammad is worthless. Faith in works is worthless. Faith in man is worthless. Faith in yourself is worthless. And I love my my, my friends in other religions, but unless they can repent, they're going to hell. And there's no easy way of saying that. That is just what the Bible bears out. I have friends, uh, people I, I went to college with and stuff that are Muslim. And I love them, but unless they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ, heaven will never be their home. They're going to find themselves in hell one day. Um, and we, we cannot bear away from that. We cannot let people think that uh, they're going to find salvation in any other religion, any other name, any other uh, doctrine outside of Jesus Christ. And that's it. You see, the Bible says here that the faith was delivered once for all. Now I want to challenge you, and this ain't part of my outline tonight, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. I want you to think about the meanest, cruelest, evilest person you ever have could imagine in your life and ask yourself, how many times do you pray for that person to be saved? I would bet if you're human, like all of us are, not as much as you should, maybe never. But the Bible says we should pray for our enemies. That means when Saddam Hussein was alive, as evil as he was, you should have prayed he got saved. As evil as Al-Qaeda is and the horrible things they're doing to the church overseas, we need to pray them people get saved. Because the Bible bears that Jesus died that everyone had an opportunity at salvation. The very ones that place the nail in the hands and feet of Jesus Christ has an opportunity to be saved. And no self-help book or, or uh, political agenda is going to fix these issues. But Jesus Christ can change, period. And there's nothing mankind can do about that. And looking down at Jude 1.4, we kind of get down to the meat of what Jude is looking at here. He's talking about their secret men who has infiltrated the church here, what he's writing to. Now, I want you to look especially at where it says before. It says, there were certain men crept in unawares. Now, this should really put a stark warning to us because these men that are, are, are spreading this false doctrine are coming in under the label of Christianity. They're not coming out and saying, we're no religion. They have been accepted into a Christian church. There are members of some Christian church. And they are teaching and preaching this in a Christian assembly. Or two Christian assemblies at least. Someone's giving them a, a pulpit or something to speak out of. And when we see that, we have to be very careful. Let's flip over to Matthew for just a second if you want to follow along with me here. Or not, you can just lift it. Matthew 13, where we're going for just a moment. Matthew 13 and 24. Matthew 13, 24, we have a parable here, the we of the tares, and it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in the field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Let's look down at verse 38 and 39. 38 and 39, same chapter, says, The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the wheat of the wicked one. The enemy 
that sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. It talks about seeds being sowed. And some produce wheat, some produce tares, which means uh, they, they are all in there together. We must be careful of what we accept with the label of Christianity on it. Because labels are deceiving. I could go take a pop bottle, empty the pop bottle out, pour strychnine in. If you didn't know no better, you'd still think it was pop because that Pepsi label's on the front of it. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what the label is. It matters what's in the container. Time and time again, you may turn on TV, you may attend church or whatever somewhere. I hope, pray, never hear because we, we have been very good at trying to make sure good teaching always comes out of our church and it always has to my knowledge. Um, but you've got to be careful what you're absorbing, what you're reading, what you're listening to out there. Because what you absorb can very well change what you believe if you don't base it upon God's Word. Look at the context. Look at the context, if there's importance in that context. Because the Bible tells us the devil will plant people in the church, the universal church of the living God, in order to uh, divide, to cause problems, turmoil, teaching issues, whatever else, and to cause problems. I guarantee if you go out in your garden and you look, you're going to find weeds growing with the corn and whatever else you grow out there. And if you're not careful, it can choke the very life out of what you got that's good. Folks, we see it in so many different places and so many different settings. Uh, um, people teaching newfangled doctrines, mixing religions together, uh, trying to mold the different faiths into one. Uh, I watched an assembly of a denomination. Uh, they weren't Baptists. I won't get into what they were, but it was their, their worldwide meeting, and they had a, a Muslim imam leading the prayer uh, that day and it was disturbing because this was a Christian assembly and they were molding religions together. Folks, we must be careful what we accept as good Christian teaching. Because notice again, it, they, the teaching that they are teaching is not bold in your face teaching. This teaching crept into the churches. There's all kinds of teachings creeping into churches today. There's teaching that's been crept into churches for a hundred years that you won't find in the Bible anywhere. But Papa said it, Mama said it, and so-and-so said it, so it must be true. Or some traveling minister came in at one point in time, and he was there for a couple months, and he taught it, and boom, all of a sudden, they, the whole belief system of the church changes based upon failure to study the Bible at home, mostly. Failure to get into their Word of God to study and to know the truth for themselves. Folks, be very careful, very careful, what you allow to slide in. I often tell people this. The gentleman that uh, was the cult leader overseas that killed all them people that with the Kool-Aid that year, he was ordained in three different Christian churches before he started that big cult. Folks, it shows that people can be deceived. The Bible embarrasses out even the very elect can be deceived. Um, even more so, and you want to know why more so in the final days? Look around us. How many people don't devote themselves to study? How many people don't devote themselves to church attendance? How many people won't devote themselves to family devotion time? Sitting around a table with kids and husband and wives and actually studying God's Word. When you're not well grounded, you're going to be blown here and there. See, even though that they fooled men here by thinking that they were saved, that they were Christians, 
They're not going to fool God. The Bible says they're ordained unto condemnation. That doesn't mean that God predestined them to be lost. That means that because of what they are, their failure to be saved, they're condemned. Now, they're, they'll, they'll have their name on the church books. They may be ordained. They may serve as pastors even. But they're lost. Loss is a ball in high weeds and they can say whatever they want to the world. God knows the loss from the saved. And the Bible bears out when the judgment takes place, they will be separated. And you see here that there's two lies that are being teached there in verse 4. First off, uh, they're rejecting the moral authority of God and the law of Moses. They're telling people it don't matter how you act, as long as it feels good, do it. Man, you hear that. I've heard people say, well, it don't matter what I do, I attend church. Or it don't matter what I do, God loves me. It don't matter what I do, I'm saved. Folks, God cares what we do, or He wouldn't put it in the Word what to do and what not to do. Yeah, your works does not save you, but there is a certain moral ethic code that Jesus Christ taught all throughout the Bible. And he even bears out in the book of Romans that says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Very stark words. God forbid. We must be careful what comes out of here, what we allow creep into the heart and the mind, and what we do with these hands. Because we may face judgment of God. You see, they abuse Christian liberty. And we have some liberty here uh, when it comes to the Bible. There are certain things that is not black and white in the Bible. It doesn't say do or don't do. And we have certain liberty there. Unless they are offensive. For example, there's things that the Bible does not say I can't do, but I won't do because uh, I'm afraid it may offend someone and keep them away from Jesus Christ. And it is worth more to me to live in submission to traditions to make sure people aren't offended and turn away from from Jesus Christ. We have to be careful how we bear ourselves out. Not for legalism, not to live by the law, not to turn the law to salvation, but to live a life that pleases God, that we may receive the blessings of the Lord and enjoy our salvation. That we can be an effective witness and not just have the Spirit, but have a feeling of the Spirit. You see, you can be have the Spirit, be saved, not be filled with the Spirit. If you want to reach the lost, you better be filled and running over. Just like that song we used to sing, our cup is full and running over. If your cup be full and running over, you've got to be obedient. You've got to be in God's house, studying His Word, loving others, praying for the lost, doing the things God has called us to do all throughout the book. And there ain't no way to know what to do unless you're in the book. The second thing that they're teaching here is that they are denying God and Jesus Christ. Now you probably think, well, wouldn't the church notice that? There's a lot of organizations that used to be good Christian organizations that are not good Christian organizations anymore. And it didn't happen overnight. It happened very slowly over time. And part of this, what they're saying here, they may not even be coming out and telling people they don't believe it, but by their actions, they're rejecting the lordship of Jesus Christ. They're not allowing God to be God. 
You see, when, when you're dependent on something else or when you obey something over God, that is your God. You're worshiping something other than the Lord. You're worshiping something besides Jesus Christ and that He is not your Lord any longer. When we do not allow Him to be our Master, when we reject His authority, we are significantly removing Him as being Lord. You see, Jesus Christ, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, God of the Bible, is the Lord and Savior. He has the authority over all things. He is sovereign. He is in total control. And He is the one we must turn to and worship and lean on and follow. I want to give you a couple scriptures before we close here. And, and some of these we've been studying on Wednesday night. But the first one is 2 Peter 2.20. 2 Peter 2.20. And 20, the Bible gives a very good look at what they're talking about here. And what he's really looking at is people who has committed the sin that we hear of ever so often, that people are scared to say, but the word apostasy. Apostasy. 2 Peter 2 and 20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. These are people who have come along, who have said they are saved, probably fulfilled all the the things that we require for church membership or whatever, yet now we find doing crazy sinful things, um, partaking in sinful acts, denouncing Jesus Christ as Lord, and it tells us you know, they would have been better off not even knowing about Jesus Christ, not even knowing who God is. Hebrews 10, 26 and 29. Hebrews 10, 26 and 29 says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be, ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant that wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. The book of Hebrew writers being very clear that God offered up grace for all of us. And the man who takes the label on a Christian that's never been saved and that devours the name of Jesus Christ by his actions, his teaching, the things he's done, unless he repents, he'll find himself in a place called hell. It is a fearful thing what we do with the name of Jesus Christ. It is not something to take half-hearted. It's not something uh, to, to take very jovial and lightly. Church, uh, and, why, and it's nothing wrong with having fun at church. We should, uh, the Bible says Sunday is a day of rest. We rest in the Lord. We should enjoy being here. But all the same, the decisions we make, the things that we do, the stuff we're exposed to and the stuff we expose others to through us should be taken very seriously. 1 Timothy chapter 4 warns about this. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now these aren't people who got saved and just said, you know what, I'm just not going to be saved no more. You don't put salvation on off like a jacket. But they are people who didn't laugh because they never had the Spirit of God and wasn't born again. If I was to hold up two papers here and tell you that these papers was attached to each other and all of a sudden they fell apart, you wouldn't say, well, they must just came loose. You'd say, well, he never did glue them things together to start with. It's the same thing with the church. When people depart from the faith, we don't say, well, the Lord must have just messed up on that one. He must not got it right that time. We say their true nature finally showed through. We do the same thing with, with, with people in the world. You meet somebody, think they're a good person, you know, they do an awesome, all awesome, and they start, you catch them up in lies, and they start to do things wrong, and you say, man, I had him, he had me fooled all along. Same thing happens in the spiritual world. People may come in, they may make a splash, they may be on fire with God, they may be at the altar singing, shouting, hollering, everything else, and all of a sudden you don't see them for two months. And next thing you know, they're, they're back out in the world. They never left the world. They just decided to visit church a little bit. You see, you can be a church member and not a member of God's church. And the Bible's warning us about that. And as I said, do not be deceived. Do not think these people, man, God just he just abandoned them or something. He didn't finish the work he done. No, God finishes the work he starts, but he has to start it. First John two nineteen says so they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they had been of us, they would know to have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. That's a that's a fearsome two verses right there in my world. I'm sorry, one verse. 1 John 2.19 Because there's two types of religious people in this world. Two. Only two. Believers and unbelievers. They're all religious, but there's believers and unbelievers. Now it is very possible to attend church, hear the Word, even agree with what the Word says. You may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can hear the Word. You can serve in misery. You can even call yourself a Christian and still be unsaved because you refuse to commit your life to Christ. You refuse to allow Him to be your Savior. You see, if I can't see that I'm a sinner, I can't see my need for the Savior. And you can get involved in church and fool people real easy. Uh, Sadie, if, if, let me tell you something. If you quiz Sadie on the questions that most people ask before a baptism, Sadie can nail every one of them to you. But it's because we've raised her with it and she's been around it and she's had good teachers and she knows the answers. Doesn't mean an inward change has taken place here. She's just a smart little girl. I can say it back because she's asleep sitting there. She can't hear me. She'd embarrass if she was awake. You must be born again. These people in the book of Jude, they done all the steps that we expect in the church world people to do but what happened was because they didn't have the Spirit of God in them, they got drawn away by spirits of the devil to teach lies, to do hypocrisy, to, to, to get involved in sinful acts. 
Folks, Jude is writing with posse, but the church has something. The assurance that we have as Christians is that through the work of Christ alone, received by faith alone, we are in possession of salvation. It is the only way we can get it. And we'll be eternally kept by God alone. And this assurance rests upon the promise the Scripture gives us to all those who believe in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way to get there. No other way to do it. Jesus Christ died the atoning sacrifice. A substitutionary sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. And after He saved us, preserves us, He trusts us with a major responsibility. And that is furthering the gospel and caring for His church, the body of Christ. If you're here tonight and you never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's the first step. As we said in the beginning, he calls us, and when He calls us, we have to answer the call. Phone rang a second ago, so we had to go answer the phone. When Jesus Christ calls, you've got to answer. And you answer by faith. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Your Son died on the cross for my sins. I ask Him to come into my heart to save me and help me follow You faithfully. I ain't going to be those words, but a prayer in that, in that way, a prayer of faith, is all it takes for salvation. And once you've done that, got to be in the Word. Got to know the truth. We've got to make sure the truth goes out. That way we will not be veered off by some sort of craziness that's out there in the world, but stand strong on what God has between these, these sacred pages He has for us. So as we turn to our...